The Comic Book Time Machine, Episode 175, The Daleks, a Doctor Who bookazine. Hello, everyone. It's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and this is the Comic Book Time Machine. And this is the podcast where we travel back in time to explore comic books 70 years old or 70 days old or 70 minutes old or or whatever. Um, But there's a number of different ways that we travel back in time. The comic book time machine that actually transports you back in time, it, there's no one single way of doing it. Sometimes it, it, it might be it might be a, an eBay find, an eBay find that, that has a comic book in it that you've been looking for for such a long time because you've never read it or because you read it so many times as a kid that it got destroyed and you, you never saw it again. And, and that, that might be one way to travel back in time in a comic book time machine. Another way might be to uh, get a, a graphic novel collection of, of comic books, old comic books, or, or not so old comic books, but comic books that transport you back in time because you have this, this collection now where all these things are, are in your hand. And similar to the eBay lot, you might have... Uh, you know, a comic book that you had as a kid or a comic book that you had a long a while ago, and then you're able to pick up a trade that has the other parts of the story in it, you know, and that's that's another way to travel back in time. So it might, might be actually just getting the comic book that you were looking for, having a random find in a comic book store or a random find in an antique store like the grab bag that I talked about a little bit ago. And all it might be an app. Uh, the, the Marvel, uh, what's it called? Unlimited. Is that what it's called? I can't remember what the app is called, but I, I have been using that to read some old comics and, and that's been fun for a while there. I had that, the D it was DC unlimited. I think that I had, but again, that was a lot of fun being able to read old comics in that way. So the comic book time machine is all about just f- finding the comics that you want to read and having fun reading them. And lately the funnest, not funnest most fun part of my comic book reading has been two pronged prong. One is the swamp monster stuff that's been coming out and there's been new brand new material featuring man things, swamp thing, garbage man, uh, all things that hopefully will get covered eventually, you know, to get talked about. But, um, and then the other prong has been these kind of just surprise finds, uh, one of those being the grab bag that we talked about uh, maybe two or three episodes ago, but then uh, Star Trek Dead of Honor, the graphic novel that was published in a saddle stitched format. So like it was originally published, it had that perfect binding that a paperback trade paperback would have. This was uh, done much, much more cheaply. So it was only uh, $9.99 and it was done with saddle stitch binding. And so it was a much cheaper thing to produce, a much cheaper thing to buy. And when I saw that at my local comic shop, I'm not sure how many copies they had originally, but it was one of those things I was just looking at that and thinking, oh man, and it it hit all the nostalgia buttons, you know? 
taking me back to when I was reading Star Trek comics regularly and had the subscription. And and this is from that era. Well, what I'm going to talk about today is a comic book time machine that took me back to a time that I never even knew existed, but it is a perfect fit for my interests. The book is the Daleks. And it is the ultimate collector's edition of the classic 1960s strip. It cost 20 bucks. I bought it about a year ago. I bought it when we're still living in our old house. And I know it was around, around Christmas, but I think it was right after Christmas when I had gone to Barnes and Noble and it was just sitting there on the shelf in the magazine section. And it is a perfect bound magazine but it is high quality, glossy paper. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. And I've already kind of showed my hand here, but when I saw it, first of all, I guess I should talk about my doctor who fandom. I would consider myself a doctor who fan, but I know that I'm not enough of a doctor who fan that there are probably some doctor who fans out there who would say I'm not a doctor who fan. But I am enough of a Doctor Who fan that some of my favorite parts of Doctor Who, the Doctor Who franchise, are things that are kind of obscure and kind of weird and and things like uh, the Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies, those two movies. I, I really enjoyed watching those. I bought them on disc because it's it's low level entry kind of a thing. And it's its own thing, you know? And so it's like this this uh, alternate universe, this, if there's a Doctor Who multiverse, you know, this Peter Cushing should be a part of that. And I, I always thought it'd be wonderful if we could have some sort of tie-in to, to Peter Cushing. I also, uh, years ago, before, before the Doctor Who reboot on the BBC, they did the Fox television uh, movie. Doctor Who and and I bought that and I really enjoyed uh, watching that. I, I wanted to see it when it was originally aired and I didn't get a chance to. And then I saw it show up on Amazon on disc and I thought, this is my chance. Uh, during that time, I was also renting the series, different series uh, from our library. And, and so it was something that I, I was a casual fan, but enough that I was like kind of getting to these, these obscure little bits of, of Doctor Who lore. My favorite doctor, I would definitely say would be Tom Baker with T David Tennant being my second, but I did really enjoy the Paul McGann movie, TV movie. And, and I really enjoyed when they referenced that, that character around the 50th anniversary. So anyway, uh, I haven't read any books, but I have listened to some Doctor Who audio dramas and different, different things like that. Definitely a fan of the character, but not enough that I'm like, just hanging on and, and just, you know, watching every single thing as it comes out. Uh, I haven't watched any episodes with Jodie Whittaker. I kind of fell off uh, after the first few episodes with Peter Capaldi. And, um, you know, so part of it, it's, it's a definitely a part of my pop culture fandom, but it's not something that I'm like the, the Uber fan who knows all the details, but I do know enough of the details that I do enjoy something that's just good that takes place in that world. And so I saw the Daleks thing and I, th I thought, well, that looks interesting. What is that? And I picked it up and I, I took a look and it is just this 
you know, delightful surprise. And once I realized what it was, I thought this, this fits into my wheelhouse. This is the kind of thing like, uh, well, it's kind of like the Venom movies, you know, it's, it's from the Spider-Man universe and the Spider-Man stable of characters, but Spider-Man's not in it. Well, that's what this is. Uh, they were able to license the Daleks for a page in a, in a weekly magazine of Dalek stories that don't mention Doctor Who at all. And they can't mention Doctor Who because of licensing. And so you have this popular thing and why wouldn't you want to capitalize on that? The, the word that I've heard before is Dalek mania. And there's actually a documentary that I watched about Dalek mania and the Daleks were super, super popular. So why wouldn't you want to put them in a children's magazine and have a story about this popular science fiction, pop culture thing? Well, I guess the one reason why you wouldn't is that your protagonists aren't a protagonists. <laughs> they're, they're the bad guys. And that's another thing I just found fascinating when I picked this up. I just thought, wait a minute, this is, it's following the bad guys. The bad guys are almost considered the good guys, you know, and it was, again, just kind of interesting to say, oh, well, what, what kind of stories are they going to do with this? And it is fascinating. I enjoyed this so much. Now, one of the things that I love about this that I that caused me to enjoy it, and, and I might not have bought it if it hadn't featured this, and that is the artwork. The artwork in this book is amazing. The illustrators are people I've never heard of. It's Richard Jenkins, not Richard Jenkins, Richard Jennings, Eric Eden, and Ron Turner. These are the artists who worked on this thing, and some of them for longer than others. Um, one of them did uh, almost uh, 50 strips, and one of them did like eight, <laughs> and then one of them did, let's see, 40, yeah, about about 50 strips as well. But this artwork is just the, the detail is just wonderful. And the, so for some of them, you know, it's very straightforward as far as the panel placements, but for a lot of them, there is uh, a Will Eisner level of, of panel placement where the, the environment and the characters determine the shapes of the panels. And that also then determines the reading order. For the most part, the reading order is very easy to follow. It's, it's definitely that uh, S curve that you want to follow uh, through the page. And it's, it's imaginative and classic looking. Uh, the, there's a humanoid robot figure who just looks like uh, your classic uh, metropolis robot. And it, and actually, yeah, there's in an interview, they say that the, the character is called the agent and in an interview that they say that that was definitely the, the inspiration. And you can, you can see that, but you have these alien characters who have, you know, even, there's, there's less of a budget to worry about, but they still continue holding that uh, humanoid shape for most of these alien creatures. But there is an alien world that has its own secrets and it, 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 I don't want to give away too much, although I'm not sure how available this is right now, but there is uh, some different alien life. So it's exploring just these different science fiction ideas of alien life. And at times it can be, uh, childish and at times it can be simplistic but there are also some 
things where you have characters who actually are wrestling with ideas of of morality. Not much, but there is some. And you also get to see some rifts in the culture of the Daleks as they, you know, create a an emperor and and then as they have some who go against it and there's some there's some really neat stuff going on here. And it does work without the doctor. It does work without the doctor. They can't mention the doctor. They can't say the words Doctor Who. But they do set this up where we're kind of just seeing what's the side story? What's going on? Where did they come from? What's their origin? And it becomes its own kind of side universe that fits within the mythology, if not the current canon, but the mythology of, of the Doctor and the Doctor Who series. But it just stands on its own. Although I'm not sure how much you would appreciate this if you weren't familiar with, with the show. Actually, I think you could, I think you could enjoy it because it does start at the beginning. It starts at the beginning of their history and explains where they came from. The, the writer, it says that the the writer is on, on most of these strips. Uh, if it does give credits, it says by Terry nation and Terry nation um, worked on the show, the doctor who show. He also worked on Blake's seven and that might have even been a reason why I'm like, oh, I'm picking that up because Blake Seven uh, recently, I shouldn't say recently, it's been months now, uh, but is on Prime. And I was able to finally watch Blake's Seven, which is something that I kind of recommend uh, to people who are, hey, if you know Doctor Who and you like the vibe of, you know, like especially that Tom Baker era of Doctor Who, then Blake Seven will will fit nicely for you. Uh it could be science fiction homework for some of you, but, and it kind of was uh, science fiction homework for me. It was the kind of thing where I was aware of it, wanted to see it needed to see it because I'd heard such great things about it. And so when it finally appeared, um, I was very excited to actually watch the whole thing. I watched now I have since, uh, since it appeared on prime, watched the whole series enjoyed it. There was some rough patches. <laughs> there were some rough patches with the storytelling and some rough patches with some of the effects and ideas and stuff, but that's going to be the case for almost, almost anything. So Terry nation. Anyway, he was the creator of the Daleks. He was the person who wrote the first story featuring the Daleks. And there is some sort of, uh, contractual agreement that, I'm not sure how this is for other places. I, I know this is not the case for the United States. In the United States, if you create a character, uh, I believe they can use that character in the franchise as much as they want. You can't take it and go elsewhere with it. Uh, but they do have to pay you every time they use that character. So, for example, um, Tom Paris in Voyager... There was some talk about him actually reprising the character that he had had in Star Trek The Next Generation. There's different stories about why they chose to have him be a different character who was basically the same character as that one from Star Trek The Next Generation. One story is that the character that he had in that one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation was pretty much irredeemable, and they wanted to start fresh so you didn't have that irredeemable um knock against him when viewers are watching and saying, well, Hey, he was a terrible person who killed people and he made bad choices. And 
so instead they created a new character who was similar enough and, and actually casting the same actor in those two parts. What it does is does lend uh, a little bit of the irredeemable quality from that previous actor and then allows it to still be a fresh character. And so you have kind of traces back to that other one, but he's a different guy and he's in jail for a different reason. And yeah, so that's one reason why they possibly didn't use the character. But another reason they say is that uh, every episode that airs using that character would have to pay residuals to the person who wrote that character for the first time and created that character for that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And so there's a back and forth thing. I don't know exactly the truth on that. I've seen things go both ways, but generally speaking, if someone who actually knows what happens, what happened is going to talk about it, they are going to put it in the best terms possible, which is not money. Money did not cause us to make that decision. The character being irredeemable. It was the story. It was the character that caused us to make that decision. In the UK, apparently it's different. And the only times that I've seen it pop up has been in the context of Doctor Who, where you have some Doctor Who fan movies that I haven't seen, but they feature characters from Doctor Who. And the writer who created that character was able to work with these, you know, independent filmmakers. And they actually even brought back the actor who played the character. And so they were able to bring like, um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but the, the one general character was brought back for a hour and a half fan film TV movie kind of a thing. K9 was another case of that where K9 was created for the show. And then the creator of K9 was able to go and have a whole series, a whole television series called K9. Was Doctor Who in there? Was the doctor in there? No, the doctor was not in there. Did they mention the doctor? From what I understand, no, I haven't seen the show, so I don't know. Um, and then this this case here, where you have the creator of the Daleks who is able to make the deal to do a comic strip about the Daleks. And so you end up with this this multiverse idea again, where you have a s similar starting point, you know, and you know where it started. And it started in the Doctor Who universe, but it's its own thing here. And so... Yeah, all that to say, I, I do think you could enjoy it without knowing who Doctor Who is. It just enhances your enjoyment if you do know who the Doctor is. And I know I call him Doctor Who, bad fan, bad fan, slap my hand. You know, metaphorically, every time I, I say that, slap my hand, it's okay. I don't mind. I have tough knuckles. Um, actually, I don't. I'm, I have a very cushy job, so my, my knuckles aren't super tough. But, um, but they're tough enough to handle your metaphorical slap. Okay. So yeah, slap my hand every time I call the character Doctor Who. It's just because I'm on a roll. I'm not reading a script and I do normally call him the doctor. But when I'm talking about the show and the character at the same time, sometimes I slip like I've done in this episode and I'm not editing that out. So back to the artwork. The artwork is a very technical art as well. So it has these artistic flourishes to the panel layouts to the page. This is a single page story. So every page is appearing in this weekly magazine. In fact, let's go back to the, the beginning there and talk about what magazine this was in. The magazine was called TV Century 21. 
and it featured lots of different one-page strips from different TV shows, especially the the shows by uh, Jerry Anderson, right? Jerry Anderson? Yeah, uh, Jerry Anderson. And uh, so it's called TV Century 21. All of these stories had to take place in the 21st century, so they're all about the future. And like I said, it was weekly. And so that was quite a schedule they were staying on. It was a very aggressive schedule, to quote Teen Titans. So that weekly schedule just uh, stands as a reminder of the the talent that was going into this, where you have just some amazing, amazing technical detail in the artwork and and then also creative detail in the artwork. And they're producing this every single week. And the artwork isn't just detailed. The artwork is also accompanied by a beautiful color palette. And it's a painted artwork. It is just plain beautiful. It reminds me of a, some of these, some of the things reminds me of a uh, sci-fi Prince Valiant, as far as kind of the style of the characters. And then you have the Daleks, which are all this kind of the geometric shapes of the, you know, the, the, the different half spheres are on all sides of these things. And it's, it's just beautiful, beautiful. And even when a new artist steps in and brings in a new style, it's, it still looks, looks wonderful. Now the writing on this, it says by Terry nation, but it actually was written by Angus Allen, Alan Fennell and David Whitaker. Uh, the idea being Terry nation's name being the draw and making that makes sense. But at the same time, if I was writing these pages and I pick up the magazine and it says by Terry nation, by Terry nation, by Terry nation, every single page for a long while. Um, I, I don't know if how, how good I would feel about that, but it, it just, uh, I, I could sit down and just flip through, and I am right now as I'm talking, just flipping through, um, I guess, you know, the other thing is because it's from the sixties, the, the style of technology, uh, the, the future technology and, uh, the page I just stopped on right now has flying saucers in it. And it's just, uh, it just definitely, it's not hitting an actual nostalgia. It is hitting the virtual nostalgia that I have for this kind of thing where I just really appreciate and enjoy this past vision of the future, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, because I do know there is a better phrase out there for it. The one thing that I find to be, I don't know if the, (laughs) I almost want to say the word problematic, but it's not quite problematic. It's, It's definitely interesting though, is that this story is all about a, a regime of Daleks who are fighting to take over the, the universe. And in some ways, as I'm reading it, I did feel a little uncomfortable and it's not because of the, the era that it comes from. Not at all. Like some things you're reading, you're just like, oh my goodness, the worldview that's in, that's featured in this thing is from a different era. And so it makes me feel uncomfortable because it's things that, that wouldn't fly these days at all. And that is the case here, but I would venture to say it's not because of the era that it's from. It's because of who the protagonists are and the protagonists 
are conquering a galactic empire, <laughs> you know, where they're, they're the ones going out trying to take over planets. And so as you're following them, you are following characters that you want to fail. You are following characters that are trying to do evil things and you don't want them to. In fact, if you are looking at them as the protagonist, then there's there's a problem for you. And there's imagery that reminds me of Nazi imagery. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, almost any kind of galactic empire, you know, some of the things they did in, well, definitely in the original trilogy of Star Wars, but also in the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, uh, are meant to reference that. I, I don't know how much this is meant to reference that, but when all is said and done, this is all about just following these bad guy characters and watching them, if not succeed completely, succeed and live to do this thing another day. And there's not one protagonist through the whole thing. I, I shouldn't say, say it like that. There's no single protagonists there are a handful of different protagonists as you go along that that do succeed you know or <laughs> best case they succeed worst case uh they die but still succeed uh yeah so at the end and i'm not going to spoil too much out of this because there's not a lot of time but i don't feel too uncomfortable talking about the end of this is that the Daleks become aware of a planet called Earth. And so it's kind of the anti-Battlestar Galactica. It ends with uh, one of the Daleks saying, a planet called Earth? The Daleks will go in search and we will conquer. We shall conquer Earth. That is the final two panels of the series. Uh, after this, they, they canceled the series out. And so it's them getting ready to go and conquer Earth. So all things considered, as far as trips back in time on the comic book time machine, this was fun. Was it worth the 20 bucks? 100% for me worth the 20, well, the 1999 plus, plus sales tax. Uh, there's a, just so much going on in here. There's big science fiction ideas, but there's also childish characterization sometimes. And so there are some things where you just kind of have to laugh because, you know, how, how immature, how unsophisticated. Uh, but then there are other things where you just have to say, oh, this, this is beautiful artwork. If you enjoy the artwork of Mars Attacks, you know, that style of artwork, the trading cards, uh, then you will enjoy this artwork here. And this is something I read through once and then I have every once in a while just pick it up to kind of flip through it and just take a look at it. And if I was an artist who could actually draw <laughs> uh, semi-professionally, this is the kind of thing that would inspire me to just to draw more and, and want to draw actually more like this. So uh, yeah. And I will say this to those three writers, Richard Jennings, Eric, no, not those are the artists, uh, Angus Allen, Alan Fennell, and David Whitaker, the challenge of writing a story that works in one page chunks is something I have done before for a magazine, actually, where I was working on a one page comic strip and it was 
very difficult to squeeze everything into one page. Now this is oversized as magazine format. So there's a little more space to do more panels and have a few more words, but it's still a challenge and they pack a lot of movement and a lot of action into these single pages. You're not going to find a splash page. You know, you might find a page that, that has like a, a panel that's a third of the page or maybe half of a page. I really don't know if there is one that's that's half of a page that I can remember, but you know, they, they pack so much into this and it, it works. They did a great job. The other nice thing about this, and the reason I would recommend getting this edition, if you can, I believe that there was another printing that had been done before, is that they were able to find a lot of the original artboards and recreate the rest uh, and restore the the pages. And as I was reading through, I didn't notice when it wasn't a restoration of the original, but it was actually a restoration of the the printed edition uh but they actually then cleaned that up as well and they in the back explain how that cleaning process went and so it's just this is the very definition of a comic book time machine and to the makers of this thing of this magazine nice job so much fun for me as a casual fan i think that your uber fan is going to enjoy it even more uh as this relic as a, a piece of history from the doctor who franchise and yes this is doctor who without the doctor but you know what it works and it works well i enjoyed it highly recommended especially to the doctor who fans now i do want to do something that we don't often do on the comic book time machine but i'm hoping to be able to do a little bit more and that is I have some feedback for the podcast and this uh, is feedback. It's an email sent to the email address that I talked about in the previous episode. That is the studio Avery at gmail.com. And the subject line is podcast feedback. This comes from uh, Aaron and Aaron says, hi, Ben, I listened to your human fly review this weekend and I thought I'd take a moment to let you know I enjoy your podcast. The format as it is currently constructed is great. I especially like the blind bag reviews. I recommend taking a look at the US1 Marvel comic from the 1980s. It was a licensed book based on a toy. I read the entire run, 10 issues a few years ago, and it was hilarious. I have been an on-again, off-again collector for a long time. I walk a lot to try to stay healthy. Podcasts often provide the soundtrack for my walks. I try to find quality podcasts about comics, but it is difficult. The ones I have found usually contain bad language or are weighted toward other things like pop culture. In closing, thanks for providing your email address because I've been meaning to share my appreciation, but didn't know the best way to do it. I do have one of your Arm Request books, and I'm familiar with your work for Kingstone Comics. Happy New Year. Hope to hear more of your content. And I want to say to Aaron, thank you. And I just realized that um, he might be listening to the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed. So that being the case, I might read this email again uh, on my next episode for Marvel Cosmic Comics. But because I do want to make sure he hears that that I got it. But I do want to say thank you to Aaron. And again, say uh, if you want to send any feedback about any of my episodes or Matt or Daniel's episodes, uh, you can send that to studioavery at gmail.com and we will get your message and we will read your feedback on on the podcast. So thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. And US, US1 is a good comic 
it's good in the sense like what you're saying it's kind of funny it was based on a toy uh but i believe that they actually didn't create the toy like it was meant to be like a rom space night kind of thing where hey we're pushing this out because you got the toy but from what i understand the toy wasn't actually produced and the comic book was already in production so they went ahead and stuck with it tied into um the the marvel universe just like rom and, and micronauts did but yeah so i when we get to that we'll We'll see if my memory is correct about that. The uh, same kind of thing happened with Dazzler. This one I do know is true. Dazzler was supposed to be a uh, a multi-medium launch. There was supposed to be a Dazzler movie. There was someone who's going to be Dazzler on stage and have Dazzler songs. And then there was the Dazzler comic book that they were doing along with that. And as time moved... The movie and the artist who were going to like tour that never happened, but the comic book did. And the character is a still a character, so that's that's good. But they were trying to capitalize on the whole disco thing, and it, by the time they were ready, there was really not much of a disco thing for them to capitalize on. Uh, there was another character that they created as well that they did a one shot comic. Uh, to tie in with uh, with a musician, but that one, the musician, I believe, came first, and the comic book was to help promote the musician. So, all that to say, uh, the the licensing stuff that DC or the Marvel did was was really interesting. I guess DC did it as well, but it was it's kind of fun to see where they had some missteps. You know, for every, I mean, you can't have a GI Joe Transformers Star Wars <laughs> success every time you you try. And, and Dazzler was a success, but not as a multimedia kind of a thing. And the same for US1, from what I understand about that. I believe the US1 comics are in my um, packages that I put together of every month of Marvel licensed books. I almost included Dazzler in that and in the end decided, no, I have to draw a line somewhere. And the line must be drawn here. So that's where I that's where I drew one of the lines. So anyway, again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for stepping back in time with me. And until next time, which I'm not sure what next time is going to include, but until next time, Godspeed. <laughs>